Welcome. You are listening to Bible teaching from Island Community Church in downtown Memphis, Tennessee. We hope today's message helps you grow in relationship with Jesus. You can access more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church at iccmemphis.com. Thank you for listening. We are continuing today, I'm really excited about it, uh, our series, our little mini-series called Beyond Giving. And what we're doing together in these weeks is kind of rethinking what giving is all about. And as we are opening the scripture, we're trying to kind of recognize that as we get into the conversation about money and giving, there's some discomfort, um, there's some unease, there's perhaps distrust. But what we've been talking about in this series is that really... We need to hear what God has to say to us about what he has entrusted to us in our resources and in our money. And the reason is because the theme verse for this series we've been looking at over the last few weeks, Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In other words, Jesus is looking at us in the eyes and going, hey, I need you to understand something, like you can't get away from this reality that like your heart and your money are like directly connected. So how you're using your money is a direct reflection of where your heart is. And I care about your heart, so I've got to talk to you about your money. Jesus is chasing our hearts. So we've said again and again over the last few weeks, uh, kind of as a core theme of the series, God is not chasing our money, but he's chasing our hearts. And what we've been looking at is, is the opportunity that we really have with giving to really yield God more of our hearts, to learn him and to learn life with him in deeper and deeper ways. We looked last week at the first way that God wants to grow our hearts, and we looked at that through the avenue of worship, understanding his generosity toward us, and understanding really that if you, if you treasure God's generosity toward you, you can't help but be generous toward him. If you are not generous, it shows that you do not understand how generous God has been toward you. And if you're not growing in generosity, you are not growing in his likeness because he is generous through and through. There's a direct connection between how you see God and his generosity toward you and your willingness to open up your resources to be generous toward him and others in need. So one of the things that God is trying to do in inviting us to be givers is to grow in our worship of how he is a giver to us and to all who trust in him and Jesus. Well, today, are you all excited? We're going on to the second icon and the second theme of the series, and that is the theme of trust. The theme of trust. God is not chasing our money, he's chasing our hearts. And one of the things that I want for you to understand this morning, and we're gonna look at it from the scripture, is that giving, by God asking you to give, he is actually chasing your heart in this specific area, in the area of trust. The title of today's message is Giving Grows Trust. Giving Grows Trust. And we're going to be looking at it from Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 24. So if you've got your Bible, hopefully you've got it open. And today, hopefully you have something to take notes with as well. Our main point today, we're going to look at this from the scripture, is this. And I hope you'll write it down. 
as we give, we learn to turn our trust from money to God, who is our true provider. So every time you give, God is chasing your heart. By asking you to give, he's actually pressing into the deepest part of you, and he's asking you to trust him. So as you give, you actually have an opportunity to learn in greater ways how to turn your trust from money toward God, who is our true provider. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 24, I read from the ESV. You're welcome to read along in your Bible, or if you don't have your Bible, you're welcome to read along with us here on the screen. The scripture says, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. This is Jesus teaching his disciples. and He continues his teaching and saying this, verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you so anxious about clothing? I mean, consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his glory was arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you Oh, ye of little faith. Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, oh, what shall we eat? Or what are we going to drink? Or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. This is God's word. He closes and says in verse 34, therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This morning I want to talk to you about giving, growing trust. And perhaps um, out of all the topics of this series, I believe personally, I'm just going to be honest with you, this is the one that is the absolute hardest for me. 
I don't know what it might be for you as we go through the series, but as I've shepherded here in our church over these last years, um, I can tell you, as we get into conversations about money and about giving, especially in an economy like ours, especially anybody here a student who's living on uh, loans, um, you don't have to actually raise your hand. You're, you're, I just realized I just had to, anybody here have debt, you know? Anybody have a credit card bill, more than five grand, you know, whatever. Um, sorry, I am not trying to do that this morning. That totally destroys trust that I need from you to even be willing to listen to this message. Okay, so please forgive me. Um, I know that when we finished medical school, I'll dip out of our own bucket. Um, I did not go to medical school. I've got, I did get my MD before Michelle, <laughs> Master of Divinity. See what I did there? Um, that's been my running joke with Michelle for our whole relationship. <laughs> I got my MD before you. And she's like, yeah, show me your salary. I'm like, yeah, shut up. <laughs> so um, different kind of MD, let me just say that. Um, but it, <laughs> we finished medical school with, with quite, uh, we didn't have a generous benefactor. We didn't have uh, the government paying for it. Um, we had to take out loans. And over these last years, uh, we, we still have money that uh, is owed. Uh, we are in, in many ways uh, much like you, where we're just having to, to month to month really figure out how to take the income that we have and to make it work in the time and the place and in the community that God's called us to, and the resources we have and the needs that are there. Um, we're trying to figure it out. Anybody else with me? You can just raise your hand in your heart, right? Um, where it's just, it, it, money can be stressful. And in the times we live with inflation the way it is, it can just be a thing. And so I know that talking about this conversation of trust is going to resonate deeply in our hearts, and it should. And that's the point of Jesus even bringing this up with his disciples and bringing this up with us. He says, I need to talk to you about your heart and your money. Because your money's directly connected to your heart. And one of the things you've got to figure out is how to trust me. If you look at the core verse there, verse 24, the, the first verse of the whole, the whole passage, you go back to it in your Bible, he says there, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot, you just can't do this. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, money here represents kind of all material things. So imagine all the, all the material things or all the securities or all the pleasures that you can actually buy. That's what Jesus is talking about. Not just necessarily like cash money but things that the world can kind of offer to you, things that you can put your hands on, things that you can attain. And, and what Jesus is saying here, if you go back to that verse, notice he says, no one can serve, what? Two masters. And then he makes this comparison, this either or. It's like either this one or that one. This one or that one. And the either or is money or God. Now here's what Jesus is trying to teach you. You just gotta understand this about money. It's just the reality. Money sets itself up as a great alternative to God in your heart. The way that money works, the way that stuff works in your heart is it sets itself up, positions itself as a great alternative to God. 
Another way of kind of thinking about this is it's almost like money sets itself up as a competitor to God. And Jesus is going, okay, in your heart, there's this kind of competition. There's this kind of tension. There's this kind of war, this wrangling between the stuff that you could kind of put your hands on and feel good about and God. No one can serve two masters. This either or. So the question Jesus is basically asking you from this that you should be thinking about right now is this, right? Where, where are you going to find your security? Are you going to find it in money? Or are you going to find it in God? Like, honestly, what makes your heart feel the most secure? Uh, another question you should be wrestling with is like, where am I going to look to find provision? Like, am I looking to the stuff I can put my hands on to provide for me, or am I deep in my heart actually looking to God who provides for me? Uh, what about the category of satisfaction, just contentment? Where are you going to look for contentment, for happiness, for joy, for satisfaction? Are, are you going to look to money, the stuff you can put your hands on, or are you going to look to God? No one can serve two masters, this either or. Now, notice the word serve here, all right? Uh, maybe you can make a note about this as you're marking your Bible or taking notes this morning. When it says no one can serve two masters, for either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. And then he repeats it. You cannot serve both God and money. Now, what does he mean by serving? What do you does he mean like money needs something, so you need to like give money something, you need to like serve money, take care of money? Or does God need something, like you need to serve God and, and you need to take care of God? No. no. Money doesn't need anything, it just is what it is. And God doesn't need anything. He's not served by human hands, Acts says, as though he needed anything, for he himself gives life and breath and everything. Money can't be served in that way. God cannot be served in that way. What is he talking about? You can't serve both God and money. Here, here's what it means to serve both God and money. It actually means to look to money to serve you. And in looking to money to serve you, you actually end up serving it because it becomes a master over you. That's why he begins by saying nobody can serve two masters. Because you actually have an opportunity to look to money and go, hey, I, I, want, I want money to make sure that I can uh, take my girl on a date this weekend, Valentine's week, right? I, I, I want money to make sure that I, I can pay rent this month. I, I'm looking to money for uh, the opportunity to one day retire. I'm looking to, to money or, or for resources to actually feel some level of like identity, like, my, my car, like the kind of car I drive is like really important about that. Like the kind of house I have, the kind of neighborhood I live in, the kind of clothes I wear, like th that, that means something to me. Like that actually gives me a lot of joy. I, like if I, don't, if I can't go shopping, if I can't wear that, if I can't live here, if I can't drive this, then I actually feel like there's some loss, there's some absence of something in my life. I'm restless and I'm looking to money or stuff to provide that. And by looking to money, you end up serving it because it becomes the ruler the central driving kind of impulse and force in your heart. 
And alternatively, you could do the same with God. Look for God to meet your needs. Look for God to retire. Look for God to give you contentment. And that, he can become the central kind of driving force in your heart. So what Jesus is saying is, there's this kind of wrestling that's going on deep in you every day of every week that you wake up and you live in this world. There's a wrestling, a wrestling for where your heart is as it relates to trust. And is it gonna be money or is it going to be God? There's two choices for your heart, right? Money or God. Now, I wanna walk through the two choices briefly and then I wanna land I'm gonna walk through the choice of money and what the Bible says about it, and then I'm gonna walk through the choice of God and what God, the Bible says about that. And then I wanna to land today's message at the end and talk to you about why giving is such a great gift to us in light of the two choices that are daily before us. That's the outline of the message. So the first choice that Jesus gives us is we could choose money, all right? So let's go down this rabbit trail for a second. And let's just say that in our hearts, there's this wrestling and we're trying to weigh the options of like, where am I going to look for security, for provision, for satisfaction? And I look to, to money. Well, here's what you need to know. Money is a freaking deceiver. Okay. Money is deceitful, like crazy deceitful. And here's why. Um, the Bible says the love of money is the root of all evil, okay? It's not money itself that's bad, but when you go looking for money to, to, to do something for you, you are going to be deceived. Because here's why. Money promises a lot, all right? Money promises to you security. Money promises to you provision. Money promises to you contentment. But here's the deal about money. It cannot actually provide it. I mean, it, it can, sure, temporarily, money can do some stuff, all right? Nobody's complaining about having money when the, a crisis hits, right? Um, money can take you on a vacation. Money can buy you a car, those kinds of things. I'm not trying to deny some things that money can do, but at the end of the day, money in and of itself is quite empty. Look at all the folks who achieve billions and billions, and yet they still die overdosing. Tragically committing suicide. Why is that? Because it's never enough. Money cannot fill your heart. Only God can do that. And money ultimately cannot provide security and provision, the true and deep security and provision that you need in your life. Only God can do that. Money is a great deceiver. And the thing is about money is if you go the route of money, you will be disappointed. <laughs> but not only disappointed, you will actually become a slave and will not be free. That's why he says, be careful, because you can't serve two masters. In other words, he's saying, if you actually give your heart to look to money for these things, you will actually end up becoming a slave of money. Be careful. Not only will you be disappointed, but you will become a slave and you will not be free. Now, I want to trace quickly 
some of the places that the Bible speaks about this, all right? You're gonna only have time to write down the references, but I want you to hear kind of some of the things that the Bible says about this. Psalm 49, 10 to 12. For he sees that even wise men die, the stupid and the senseless alike perish, and they leave their wealth to others. Never seen a hearse going down the road pulling a U-Haul, have you? You cannot take your stuff with you. Your money means nothing beyond the grave. You have a body, yes, but more importantly, you have a soul, and you can't Get what you need in your soul with money and you can't take it with you after death. Their inner thought is that their houses are forever. Their dwelling places are all generations. They've been called, uh, they've called their lands after their own names. But man in his pomp will not endure. He is like the beast that perishes. Psalm 62, 10 says to us, if your riches increase, do not set your heart on them. In other words, don't you go feeling good about your bank account looking quite nice. You about to be set up for a crash. Be careful. Psalm 127, 2. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those who he loves. Do you hear the vanity of the endless pursuit of money? Proverbs 1, 19. So are the ways of everyone who is greedy for gain. It takes away the life of its owners. You constantly pursuing the next big opportunity for cash, for savings, for retirement, for the upgrades, for the house, for the toys, et cetera, et cetera. You constantly being greedy and greedy. More, more, more. Here's what is going to happen. It actually sucks life from you. It is better for you to, be, to learn to be content with little than to be exhausting yourself trying to achieve much because in the much, there is no life. Life is not found in money. Proverbs 23, four to five, don't wear yourself out to get rich. Don't trust your own cleverness. Cast but a glance at riches and they're gone for they will surely sprout wings and fly out to the sky like an eagle. Proverbs eleven twenty eight. He who trusts in his riches will fail, but the righteous shall flourish as the green leaf. Proverbs thirteen, excuse me, fifteen twenty seven. He who is greedy for gain troubles his own house, but he who hates bribes will live. We want to bring trouble and anxiety and frustration and constant incense of indebtedness to your family, just, just pursue stuff. It's a mess. The love of money, we've already said, the root of all kinds of issues. Proverbs 28, 22. A stingy man is eager to get rich and is unaware that poverty awaits him. Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 10. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. In other words, where does it end? Is, is, is it really the next upgrade of your car? Is it really the next upgrade of your TV? You know Apple's gonna come out with some stupid goggles or, that are even stupider than the ones they just came out with, right? 
I mean, there's always going to be another phone that you can upgrade to, another car that you could upgrade to, another house that's bigger than yours, another neighborhood that's nicer than yours, another retirement plan that offers something more, another job that actually offers more, another project you can pursue. You can pursue it. But to what cost? Where does it end? I mean, actually, where does it end? The Bible says be careful because for most who start pursuing it, it never ends. Mark 4, 19, but the worries of this life, Jesus says as he tells the parable, the worries of this life, the deceitfulness of wealth and the desire for other things come in and they choke the word. You you want to find the number one thing that will steal your spiritual life? It is getting entangled in things of the world. Constantly looking for things in the world to satisfy your heart will choke the life of the Holy Spirit out of you. Endless pursuit of money and career and success and advancement and more and more will take from you joy and life in God. Luke 12, 15. Jesus says, watch out. Be on guard against all kinds of greed for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He's like, yo, like y'all are my friends. He's talking to his disciples like, I love you. Be careful. Be careful about your own heart because you can just want more and more and you've got to remember like true life, true happiness, true joy, true contentment is not found in more stuff, more money. It's found in me. 1 Timothy 6, 6 to 12 People who want to get rich fall into temptation. It's a trap. And into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have even wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Be careful. Be careful. Money sets itself up as a great competitor to God in your heart. And you gotta be careful. You get swept up in this without even recognizing you're being swept up in it. Making decisions without even recognizing it's money that's driving you. It's success that's driving you. It's more and more and more that's driving you or your company or your work or your family. And you get swept up in it so much that you look around one day and you go, oh my God, I don't even know who I am anymore. I don't even know how we got here. I I haven't even felt a sincere love and trust and joy in God and I don't even know how long. We've given ourselves to our time to everything else but the things that matter we've neglected and you find yourself in a place where you look up one day and go, what happened to me? And Jesus is saying, before it even happens, know that it could happen and therefore guard your heart. 1 Timothy 6 17 and 19 in that same chapter, it says, instruct those who are rich in this present world, do not be conceited or fix your hope on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly supplies for us all things to enjoy. Be careful, God is saying. Be careful, be careful, be careful. So you got these two choices going on in your heart, right? And the first one is over here begging for you to trust it and it's money. And I'm trying to tell you from the scripture and I could go on, but I don't have time to. You have to trust me in the verses I provided. Money is deceitful. It just is. Money promises security and provision and contentment, but it cannot actually provide it. 
And if you go this route, you'll not only be disappointed, but you'll end up enslaved. Everybody got it so far? Now, that was quite negative, wasn't it? I hope to scare you from getting too entangled in money. Because the Bible does not speak positively about you and your heart hoping in money. The Bible, there's not a single word in the Bible that speaks positively about when you go after money and stuff or you start trusting and looking for that for security or provision or satisfaction. There's not a single positive word in the Bible about it. Instead, it's warning, warning, warning. That's, that's why that last section was quite hard. But let me tell you the other choice you have. Now I get to smile a little more. You ready? The other choice you have is what? Look back at the scripture, verse 24 of Matthew 6. No one can serve two masters. Love the one, hate the other. Devoted the one, despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. The other choice you have is what? Is God. I have a little bit more positive things to say about God. The Bible's filled with this. So we looked at the money choice, but now let's look at the God choice. Here's what you got to know about God. God is a true provider. God promises security, and here's what you can know. He can actually take care of you. So God promises, but unlike money, money couldn't back up the promise. But guess what? God promises, and he can back it up. He actually can take care of you. God promises true contentment. And unlike money that enslaves you, God if you give your heart to him, can give you contentment that actually frees you. <laughs> Anybody want to be free? I mean, truly free? Look, freedom is not about the size of house you live in or the kind of car you drive or the amount of money in your retirement account. True freedom is when you find contentment in God. And when you find contentment in God, no matter how much money in your account or what size of your house or what car you drive, you are actually free. And God can do that. The scripture is filled with encouragements about us learning to trust the Lord. Deuteronomy 8, 18. But remember the Lord your God. For it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. God is the one who can bring wealth into your life. Don't look to money. Look to God. Psalm 37, 4. Delight yourself in the Lord. And he'll give you the desires of your heart. Look, if you would just realize, like a little a child going to his dad, like, look, of course, if Emma Grace delights herself in me and trusts me, like, I'm going to take care of her. That is my joy. I am her father. I love her. She doesn't need to run around my neighborhood going, is there any food on the street? She just needs to learn to, 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 to live life with me and in life with me, I will take care of her. Proverbs 28, 25, a greedy man stirs up dissension, but he who trusts in the Lord will prosper. Those who trust in God will flourish. Matthew 6, 30, this is the verse that we just read in the passage of the day. Will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? In other words, don't you know it's like almost Jesus is like smiling, a little laughing with his disciples. He's like having a little fun. He's like, look at this flower. Isn't that beautiful? A little pansy, you know, whatever it is. Look at the birds. Like 
they're so free. They're so happy. Look at how they're like full. They've, they've eaten. Like God's taken care of them. God's made them beautiful. Like don't you know? Like he loves you even more. How, stop being silly willy. That's the way we say in our house. Stop being a silly willy. You're, you're running around fretting about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear, what's going to happen later in life. Look, God's going to take care of you. Like trust him. Trust him. That's why he says in verse 33 there, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all of these things will be added to you. That is a promise that God is making. If you put God the center of your heart, if you learn to trust him, he'll take care of the rest. Philippians 4, 11 to 13. Paul says, not that I'm speaking of being in want for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with a humble means. And I also know how to live in prosperity. In any, every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things because it is God who strengthens me. He's saying, I've learned to trust God. I can trust him in a little house and a big house. I can trust him with no job or with a great job. I can trust him with little resume or big resume. I can trust him with no retirement or big retirement. I can trust him in all kinds of things. I've just learned that God is trustworthy. I've learned that when I trust him, he comes through. I've learned that he can be enough for me. I learned that he can strengthen me. That's what Paul's saying. I've learned contentment and I'm really free. I'm no longer chasing around the stuff of this world. I am just trusting God and that's more than enough for me. Philippians 4, 19, he says, my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He's going, look, God's going to take care of you. He's got it all. He can take care of you. 1 Timothy 6, 6 to 12. Godliness with contentment is great gain. What's great gain? When your boss gives you a raise? What's great gain? When you secure that next project, that big money comes in? What's great gain? When you get finished with school and you finally can get that six-figure income? What's great gain? When you get that level of car or that level of TV or that level of house or you live in that place? No. Great gain does not come from any of those things. That's not what we should be proud and patting ourselves on the back about. Great gain comes when you are in a very simple place in life with just your basics and you go, God is enough. God looks at you and goes, that's great gain. You want to learn how to gain something in this world. It's actually divesting yourself of the world and learning contentment in God. That is great gain. First Timothy 6 goes on to say, instruct the, those, them to do good and to be rich in good works, be generous and ready to share, storing up for themselves um, the treasure of a good foundation for the future which they can take hold of, that which is life indeed. Hebrews 13, 6, I'll close with this one, says, so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? In other words, we can have confidence. Where does confidence come from? Big bank accounts, big incomes, big future securities? No, confidence comes from this, knowing God is with me and he has committed to help me. I can be confident because God is going to take care of me. Do you see it? I'm smiling a lot. Because in this section, there is freedom that awaits us if we could bring our hearts into line with these truths and actually learn to trust the Lord. 
There's two choices in your heart, money or God, but I'm telling you, if you choose to trust God, I promise you this, on the basis and the confidence of God's word, if you can figure out how to actually trust the Lord deeply, deeply trust him, I can promise you that he will take care of you. He is a true provider. I can promise you this out of God's word and I can promise you this out of my own story. I can tell you time and time again, before I married a doctor, about the times that I had no money. And I can tell you again and again, even after I've married a doctor, about the surprising kindnesses of God in our life as we have trusted him and walked with him. Things that I could have never, ever planned, I never could have provided for myself, things that I could have never done. God is a provider to those who seek him and trust him. There's many in this room who have that story. He promises security and he can actually take care of you. He promises contentment and that contentment can actually free you. We've gotta learn to trust. There's two choices. God or money. And these choices are daily choices and you've got to figure out what are you gonna trust? So the title of today's message is about giving grows trust. And what I'm trying to tell you is, and I'm gonna close by actually talking to you about how giving is the greatest gift in your life. Are you ready for it? I've just told you You need to learn to trust God and not money, right? Everybody agree with that? Does anybody here want to learn to trust God more and not money? I think you do. And the promises are there for you. It is good and important for us to learn contentment in God alone. Everybody agree with that? It's good and important for us to learn to be content. We got to go to war in our hearts for that. It's also good and important for us to learn to trust God with all of our needs. Everybody agree with that? Okay, good. So then you will agree with me in this. You've got to learn to give. Not as many yeses. (laughs) Why? Here's why I'm saying you've got to learn to give. It's, It's all part of God's master design that you've got to learn to receive from him. Giving is a great gift for our hearts. It's a great gift for our hearts in the area of trust. Because, as I said in our main point, as we give, here's what happens. We learn to turn our trust from money to God, who is our true provider. Every time we give, we're divesting ourselves of the very thing that sets itself up as competition to God. And we're actually forcing our heart to go, it's not money that provides, it's God who provides. Therefore, I'm gonna release the money so that I can depend on God. Do you see what I'm saying? The gift of giving is that actually in that practical act of having to give up something that we go, oh, but I really, really need that. If I I have to give that away, then, then, then what about X, what about Y? What about the light bill? What about the vacation savings? What about the retirement? What about the extra security? If I have to release it, 
our hearts buck a little bit. Anybody can witness that? That sometimes when you, when, you, when you go to give, it's like, ooh, a little discomfort. And why is there discomfort? It's because money sets itself up as our security, as our provision, as our contentment. And the discomfort is, oh no, if I release it, then am I releasing provision? Am I releasing security? Am I releasing contentment? But that's why we've got to release it. Because in releasing it, we're actually training our hearts to go, it's not the money that's our provider. It's not the security that's our provider. I mean, the the money that's our security, it's not the money that's our contentment, it's God. In releasing it, we actually learn to trust God more. Now, I want to close with just a simple, a simple little, I'm about to talk about something that makes me uncomfortable. Are y'all ready for it? This is exciting. It makes me uncomfortable because growing up, every time I heard about this, I thought, this is the most legalistic thing in the world. And I booked it for much of my 20s. And I excused it and explained it away. And I would, I would excuse it based on, I thought, this is just a religious tradition of man. This is a gimmick. This is a ploy. This is stupid. I know my heart. Nobody can tell me what to give. And I just, I just bucked it. And I've had to learn this over time personally, and I can tell you over time, this has been one of the greatest gifts of my life. And I can tell you pastorally over time as I've pastored people in it, to help people see that it's not legalistic, but it's actually deeply spiritual and meaningful. It has been one of the greatest gifts in people's lives that they have learned it. What I'm about to talk to you about is referred to as the training wheels of giving. Anybody ever ridden the bike and you had to put training wheels on first? Um, I still do that, you know, it's, it's a great way to ride a bike. It's like the um, bumpers and bowling, you know, it's a guaranteed success. Uh, the training wheels of giving, this is what I'm kind of scared to talk to you about, but I'm going to leave you with this because I should believe it's a great gift and important for you to hear it. It's a little word that we call the tithe. Has anybody ever heard of a tithe? I really believe where I want to leave you with today is to ask you to lean in and to actually understand the gift of the tithe. I think most of us, myself included, have only only thought of the tithe as the obligation of the tithe. Anybody with me? I want to reframe it and help you see that it's a gift. A tithe in the Bible literally means a tenth. That's all it means, okay? It literally just means tenth. Now, You can find it in the scripture going back to like Leviticus 27, 30. It talks about how every tithe of the land, whether the seed of the land or the fruit of the trees is the Lord's. It's holy unto the Lord. Jesus affirms the tithe in the New Testament, Matthew 23, 23. He talks about how the scribes and Pharisees tithe, mint and dill and cumin, but they neglected the waiter and managed the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And then he says, these you ought to have done. He affirms the tithe you should have tithed but you shouldn't have neglected the other weightier things. The tithe means tenth. And it's not just any tenth, it's the first tenth. Very important. So it means God is saying to you that the first tenth, the first 10% of what you have, that's the tithe. 
It's the idea of Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with your wealth and with the first fruits of all of your produce. Tithe is not, I pay everything else, and then what I have at the end, I give to the Lord. The tithe is not, I make sure that all of my needs are taken care of, all of the meals that I wanted to eat are done, all the vacations that I've had are gone. Now I get to the end of the year, I figure out, hmm, what would help my taxes? Or hmm, like what's left over this month that I might give to the church? It actually is taking the totality of what God has entrusted to you in terms of wealth, and before you do anything else with it, the first thing you do is you go, what is 10% of that? That is the tithe. The first 10%. And what the Bible teaches is that first 10% is actually holy unto the Lord. That's what Leviticus 27.30 says. It is holy unto the Lord. It says there, it is the Lord's. It is holy unto the Lord. Another way of understanding this is it's his it's not ours. It's not even our money. God says to us, this is actually mine. This belongs to me. The first 10% doesn't belong to you. It belongs to me. And yet he gives it to you for you to be able to give it back to him. How curious. It's, it's so much his that in Malachi chapter 3 verses 8 and 9, he says, will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. And you go, what, what? How have we robbed you? And God says, in your tithes and your contributions. He says, you've robbed me because you haven't brought to me the first 10%. It's so much his that he sees when you don't offer it back to him, you're actually taking from him something that is not yours. And then he says in verse 10, Malachi 3, bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now, there is some question often about the tithe. What's the destination of the tithe? Malachi 3 is very clear. The destination of the tithe is the place that you get fed. The destination of the tithe, I believe there's a slide for this, is the place that you get fed. He says, bring it into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Now today, so in, in that day, he's saying, hey, bring to me the first 10% because this is what we used to feed the mass, <laughs> Today, we bring the tithe into the local church because it's the place that we get fed. He's saying, bring it in so that the work of feeding may continue. Don't withhold what I've given for the feeding of all of you. It's actually you giving it in that is what helps to take care of you. Bring it to the place you get fed. But here's the heart of the tithe. Now, up to this point, you go, well, that, all that feels very legalistic. Perhaps you may say that. This is not my law, though. This is not my design. This is God's, and I'm trying to teach it to you faithfully. But here's, as your pastor, what I'm trying to help you in. And I'm going to close with this. I'm trying to help you see the tithe differently, not as an obligation, but as an opportunity in this area of trust. Because if we go back to the passage in Malachi 3, what I want you to see is the heart of the tithe is actually an opportunity to test the Lord. At its heart, what God is asking you to do in bringing the first 10% back to him, he knows it is hard as all get out to give the first portion to him when you know that means I only have 90% left for everything else. 
That's hard. Anybody witness that? That is hard. Why is he asking you to do that? Listen to the scripture, Malachi 3.10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. And then he goes on and he says, see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there's no more need. He goes on in verse 11, he says, I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of your soul and the vine of the field shall not fail to bear, says the Lord of hosts. Here's what, here's what God's inviting you to do. He's going, hey, are you struggling? Are you struggling to let go of the first 10%? Yeah, you're, you are struggling because I know, I know you think, I know what's going on you. You think if you let go of the money, you're not going to have provision. If you let go of the money, you're not going to have security. You let go of the money, you're not going to have contentment. That's what you're feeling in it. Okay, let me just tell you, money's not going to give you that anyway. I'm going to give you that. So here's what I want you to do. You give the first 10% to me and just watch me. You watch how I'm going to take care of you. You watch how I'm going to bless you. You watch how I'm going to protect you. You watch how I'm going to secure you. You watch how I'm going to give you joy. Just what? Look, learn to tithe so that you can have the opportunity to test me. And I promise you, if you test me, I will be faithful to you. And I will help your heart gravitate more and more and more from money to me, who is the true provider. Isn't that good of God? To actually want to work in our hearts in that way, the gift of the tithe is the opportunity to trust him. For he says in verse 11, then all the nations will call you blessed, for you will be a land of delight, says the Lord of hosts. I wonder today how many of us, perhaps, struggle with where we're looking, where we're trusting. And I wonder how many of us could be helped by learning to trust the Lord deeply and not just talk about it, but actually figure out how to put the training wheels on the bike of giving so that there might be movement and growth in your heart. The first step is to learn to tithe. For in divesting of 10% by giving it to the Lord, you are actually learning in greater ways to trust God and not money and to see him take care of you. And I'm telling you, he is faithful. As we give, we learn to turn our trust from money to God, who is our true provider. A prayer you can pray as our worship team comes, a prayer you can pray every time you give, it's just quite simple. It's this, God, I trust you. Every time you give, you have an opportunity to just say, God, I'm trusting you. God, I am trusting you. Because that money that you're giving, you could use it. But you're choosing to give it. But the very act of giving is working to your advantage spiritually. Because you're reminding yourself 
It's not this money I need, it's God that I need. I'm not trusting in this money, God, I'm trusting in you. So I pray that today, if you practically are in a place where you're not trusting God with money and you're not tithing, that you would consider the invitation and the opportunity to grow in trust. Giving is a great gift in our lives because it grows our trust in him. Father, we thank you for the ways that you've given to us and the ways that, Lord, you are presently at work in our hearts and lives as we trust in you. Lord, help us continually grow in learning to trust you and not money. Forgive us, Lord, for how we have robbed you. Forgive us, Lord, for how we have chosen to hold back and depend on money rather than you. Lord, we ask your grace to be surrendered to your ways, to release our hearts and our lives and our needs and our hopes and dreams into your hands and to test and to see that you are faithful. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks again for listening to this Bible teaching from Island Community Church. We want to encourage you to join us for worship in person soon. No podcast can replace God's good design of gathering with other believers in a local church. For more gospel resources and ways to connect with our church, visit us at iccmemphis.com. We offer a prayer of blessing for you from Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope.